0: We would see fruit for our labor. We would see souls saved. And then, Father, pray that you would bless the preaching time today, that you would guide and direct our hearts and our thoughts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. The book of Matthew, chapter 1, and we're going to read just one verse at the very beginning here. And uh, Matthew, chapter 1, and verse number 1, then keep your Bibles handy. We'll have several other places we'll turn to as we look through. And again, this is... Uh, A high level overview We're not studying verse by verse through the book We're trying to give a survey of uh, New Testament books and writers A little bit of the background and the time frame That they were written in A little bit of the setting and the context And um, we uh, just finished the Old Testament here About a month and a half ago or so Uh, And so we'll uh, start now uh, On the book of Matthew Verse number 1 of chapter 1 The Bible says the book of the generation of Jesus Christ the son of David, the son of Abraham, and so uh, Matthew is uh, w- one of the first four, go- one of the four Gospels, and it has uh, historically been put first by even the, the church in the uh, churches that were in the uh, uh, first century. Uh, they would re- uh, relegate this book to the beginning of what they referred to as the New Testament canon of Scripture. Um, And they did so because they felt like Matthew, out of all the Gospels, was the most seamless transition from Old Testament uh, into the New Testament of the Lord Jesus Christ appearing on the scene. And uh, it begins in verse 1 with the idea that the Lord Jesus Christ uh, is the son of David and the son of Abraham. It's very important that uh, Christ meets the criteria uh, because uh, Matthew was Jewish, uh, his his uh, his lineage was Jew, uh, and then uh, and then um, he was writing to the Jewish people specifically about the Lord Jesus Christ as the King of the Jews. And that was his emphasis throughout the book of Matthew. You'll find over and over him referencing the fact that uh, Christ is uh, the one that was promised to Abraham. And so it's very important that he starts the book off speaking of the fact that he's the son of Abraham, meaning that Christ... Uh, is, in that area, a fulfillment of the promise uh, that God made to Abraham that out of his family, out of his lineage, all the world would be blessed. And Christ meets that fulfillment in verse number 1. He also refers to the fact that he is the son of David, and this fulfilled uh, the idea that Christ is also uh, legitimate for the place of being the king of Israel, which he is and will always uh, be. The Bible says that... The throne of David is an eternal throne, uh, and that uh, Christ is the King of of the Jews, even though for a period of time here He has not dealt specifically through the Jewish people. He is still their King, and will continue to be so in the end times. We looked at that as we studied uh, Revelation, that He will take His place again in the end times. So Matthew begins the book with kind of laying a foundation. The whole uh, purpose of the first part of the book is to establish the generation of, of Jesus Christ and uh, the fact that he meets and fulfills the criteria uh, to fill the role of the promised Messiah, uh, the King of Israel. And uh, his main purpose throughout the book, if you'll keep this in mind uh, as you study it, is to present Jesus Christ as the King of the Jews. Uh, He does deal with the fact that he is the Savior of the world and deals with the fact that he is the Son of God and, and all of those things that the other Gospels do too. But his main emphasis... Uh, his main purpose in, in writing the way that he does and to who he does uh, is, to, is to indicate to Israel, to convince Israel. So much so that he quotes uh, or alludes to passages of Old Testament Scripture more than any other gospel. Uh, over 130 times, Matthew refers to a, either a direct quote of the Old Testament or to a, phrase, a rephrasing of an Old Testament passage that refers to prophecies that have been given. Uh, again, trying to do all that he can to establish and to convince the Jewish people. Chapter 12 is a key chapter in Matthew because it's the place where uh, the Pharisees, who at that time were, um, I would say, probably self-imposed leadership of Israel. I don't know that Israel specifically gave them that leadership role, but they, by way of influence, uh, became kind of the leaders of the nation of Israel. And it's in chapter 12 that there is a formal and a very vocal rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, when the Pharisees come out in chapter 12 and they say that he, uh, the things that he's doing, the power that he has is not of God, but it's of Satan. And they reject Him very strongly in that chapter. and So it's kind of a turning point. In fact, uh, up until that point, uh, we find the Lord Jesus Christ dealing with a lot of the multitudes and uh, going from town to town and city to city. And He still does some of that. But from chapter 12 on, you'll find that more and more He is spending time teaching and uh, training His disciples for um, the fact that He's going to be leaving them soon. He's trying to invest in them and get them uh, situated uh, the Old Testament prophets had uh, had long prophesied of the Lord Jesus Christ's coming. And um, uh, the fact that he's referred to as the son of David, the son of Abraham, uh, starts uh, with uh, Matthew showing his fulfillment of all of these uh, different things that had to be fulfilled. Uh, there are five distinct discourses that are given in Matthew, where Jesus sits down and teaches some things. Uh, the first one, of course, is the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, it's the longest of all of them that we have recorded in Scripture. And uh, the Sermon on the Mount is from chapter 5 uh, and verse number 3 all the way through chapter 7 and uh, verse number 28. And uh, each of these discourses, Uh, indicate uh, how Christ, again, is fulfilling some things. Uh, And I want us to take a look at chapter 7, if you will, for a moment. Matthew chapter 7 and verse number 28. And there's something very unique about each of these discourses. There's five of them that are given in the book of Matthew. But Matthew chapter number 7, and let's look in verse number 28. Uh, It says, And it came to pass, when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his do- I'm sorry, uh, yeah the people were astonished at his doctrine for he taught them as one having uh, authority and not as the scribes and so it, can- it has the idea that Jesus ended uh, these sayings uh, and that it came to pass when he had ended these sayings or there was a there was kind of a, a finishing point there. The second uh, discourse is a set of instructions that he sits his disciples down and teaches them, and that takes place from chapter 10 and verse number 5 through uh, the end of the chapter. And in verse number chapter number 11, if you'll turn over there for a moment. Chapter 11 and look at verse number 1. And it came to pass when Jesus had made an end of commanding His twelve disciples. Uh, and so again, we find um, the statement that Matthew is making that uh, He's he's dealt with this topic and, he, and it came to pass that He made an end of it. Uh, and then he deals with his disciples that came to pass when Jesus had made an end of it. Um, the, sec- uh, the third discourse that he gives is a set of parables uh, about uh, the kingdom. And uh, that's found in chapter number 13. Um, and that goes through... I uh, didn't write the chapter down here. Uh, it goes through uh, the end of the chapter, almost the end of the chapter, verse number 52. um but uh, look down at verse number 53 with me, Matthew chapter 13, verse number 53. And once again, we find uh, a reference here to the completion of the task. And it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these parables, uh, he departed thence. And you'll find that all five of these discourses, I'm not going to turn to all the, the last two here, but I'll tell you what they are. You'll find that at the very end of all of them, the Bible says that it came to pass when he finished or uh, when he completed this, when he was done with this. And one of the big things that Matthew emphasizes is how Christ fulfills, he completes, he finishes each thing that he was supposed to do. Uh, we find that the, the fourth discourse is uh, some things that he does uh, with the disciples in chapter number 18, uh, verse number 3, all the way through 19, and verse number 1. And he, uh, he really is teaching people on what it takes to be a disciple, the terms of discipleship, if you will, um, and uh, the the, the, the price that will be paid, the the cost that there will be in being a disciple. So he deals with that in chapter 18, in the first part of chapter 19, 19, verse number 1. Once again, he completes that or finishes that. And then the fifth one is a very famous one a lot of people know about, and that is the Olivet Discourse. And that is in chapter 24, verse 4, down through the end of chapter 25, and in chapter 26 and verse 1, once again we find uh, that he completes it, he finishes it. And so each of the five discourses, Matthew uh, is very uh, explicit in saying that Christ has finished this. Uh, This is the end of it. Um, And over and over again throughout the book of Matthew, you'll find that uh, one of the clear points he's trying to make is this was something that Christ was supposed to do, and he did it, and he finished it. He did this, and he finished it. He did this, and he finished it. And you'll find that when it comes to the prophecies that he relates to, over 130 of them in this book, uh, again, he's showing how that Christ fulfilled it. He completed that. Uh, and it's a very interesting uh, way of writing that Matthew is really doing as, as strong as uh, he can, and of course the Holy Spirit inspiring him to teach him, uh, or to, te- to give him exactly the words to use, in the effort to convince the Jews and to teach the Jews that uh, this, is, this is absolutely, without a doubt, uh, the promised Messiah, the one that was promised to Abraham, uh, the one that was promised to Israel, and uh, he does meet all of the criteria. Sad to say, uh, he was rejected by them, which even that was a fulfillment of prophecy uh, because Isaiah had said years before uh, that he was despised and rejected. And um, so very, very important that Matthew uh, indicates how Christ fulfills all of these things. There are seven main sections of the, Bible, uh, of the book of Matthew uh, that would be easy to kind of divide them into to main sections. The first one is the presentation of the Lord Jesus Christ and, and showing several things. Uh, this takes place from chapter 1 through chapter 4 and about verse number 11 or so, verse number 12. And there are several things that he shows here. He shows that Christ is the fulfillment of God's promise that was made to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12 and verse number 3 when God told Abraham that his seed would bless the nations of the earth. Uh, and then he also, in that same section, uh, of presenting the Lord Jesus Christ to the nation of Israel, to Jews especially. Uh, the, the fact that he is eligible, he meets the legal criteria to be the king of Israel. And again, he does this in uh, Matthew chapter 1 and verse number 1. He lays that out, but also in chapter number 2. And uh, let's look in uh, verse number 1, if you will, Matthew chapter 2 and verse number 1. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east of Jerusalem. And chapter, verse number 2 is very critical here. It says, saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? And so again, Matthew's even using uh, people that are not even Jews, people that are uh, foreigners that are claiming that the Lord Jesus Christ is king of the Jews. Uh, And so he he uses all of these things to uh, present the Lord Jesus Christ, to to introduce the nation of Israel to him and who he is and how he meets and fulfills these things. There's one other thing that uh, takes place in the the first four chapters uh, that Matthew goes uh, in detail about, and that is the temptation of the Lord Jesus Christ by Satan and how that he was tempted three different times. And he does this to illustrate to the nation of Israel the perfection or the sinlessness of the Lord Jesus Christ. If he is the Messiah, if he is who he claims to be, then he would have to live a sinless life. He would have to be perfect. And so he records this as well. And this is all used to introduce the nation of Israel to the Lord Jesus Christ. It wasn't that they didn't know who Christ was. Uh, as far as his name, the person, many of them had seen them with their eyes. Uh, But Matthew was trying to say, listen, this is the one that was promised to us. He's trying to tie that together and show the nation of Israel that he is uh, the Son of God, the one that was promised, the Messiah, the King of Israel. Uh, And so he goes uh, in detail about this. Uh, The second section of the book of Matthew is where um, Jesus, who has now been... Uh, according to Matthew, at least, established as the King of Israel, uh, Jesus now comes on the scene and he gives some um, proclamations, if you will, to the people of Israel that uh, are are different than what they were practicing. In the Sermon on the Mount, we have the Beatitudes, uh, we have uh, teachings of uh, the alms, we have teaching uh, of fasting. There's so many uh, things that he deals with in this. And um, they are contrary to what the common custom of the day was as far as Jewish practices. Um, There were a lot of laws that were given in the Old Testament back in Deuteronomy um, and uh, uh, Leviticus where uh, the religious leaders of Israel would take the law and then they would put... um, guidelines on them they, they would put traditional that this they would say this is the law um you can only go um so many steps on the sabbath day and it not be considered work uh if you remember this was one of the, the key things that they accused the lord jesus christ of uh when the bible says that they uh, on the sabbath day went out into the fields and they picked some corn and they were hungry um and uh, they they ate and they said well you're out here harvesting you're 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 uh, working on the Sabbath. Uh, He healed a man uh, on the Sabbath, and they criticized him for that. And uh, Jesus said, you know, that if the ox is in the ditch, and he gave that teaching that is there not one of you that would go and get his ox out of the ditch? And so a lot of these things that, yes, while they were to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, a lot of the parameters that had been put on the Jewish people as obeying the law were actually human applied things and things that they had come up with through their religious traditions. And uh, the Lord Jesus Christ teaches them other than that. He he expounds on things uh, in the Sermon on the Mount that oftentimes differed from what the Jewish uh, religious leaders of the day were teaching. And it was very, very important that uh, the Jews understand and know uh, that he has the authority and the right to do such things. And so in the Sermon on the Mount, he does a lot of uh, kind of reiterating some things. Some of them are new laws, things that they had not been taught on before uh, as far as how to go about doing some things. Some of them were just kind of uh, clarifying uh, and making sure that the people understood that there's been an awful lot of corruption applied to the law at this point. And uh, so he deals with a lot of that in the Sermon on the Mount. The third uh, section is dealing with uh, His power. And uh, it's in this section that there are ten noted miracles that are listed by Matthew. And this is from chapter 8 through chapter number 11. So kind of um, getting towards the middle portion of the book. And uh, Matthew is recording uh, ten of Christ's miracles. And... Uh, There are two of them specifically, the eighth one and the ninth one that are recorded by Matthew that show that not only does Christ have the ability in the physical realm to to perform miracles, but even in the spiritual realm He's able to uh, have power and authority over that. And again, um, trying to illustrate to the nation of Israel uh, that Christ is the Son of God. And of course the, the Pharisees um, are the ones who came out and said, well, he's, he's doing all of this by the power of Beelzebub, and, uh, and Christ said, you know, a house divided against itself cannot stand. He said uh, Satan cannot cast out Satan. He would not cast out himself. And um, dealing with some of those things. Uh, and so Matthew's trying to get across that Christ has the authority, not only in the physical world, uh, but in every aspect. He is all-powerful. He has dominion over everything. And everything is at his um, at his command, and so uh, chapter eight through chapter eleven uh, kind of establishes uh, the power uh, of Christ, and this validates uh, the words and the works of the Lord Jesus Christ. It gives some validity to the Jewish nation that yes, this is the Son of God. Uh, in chapter eleven through chapter sixteen, we find. Uh, a continuous downward spiral of criticism of the Lord Jesus Christ, hatred of the Lord Jesus Christ, of course, chapter 12 being the key chapter, uh, where they formally reject Him as Christ, as the Christ. And uh, But you find that there's a, uh, a downward spiral, a digression of uh, people liking the Lord Jesus Christ, and it is uh, encouraged and the, the flames are fanned by the religious leaders of the day. Uh, many of the people, and, and by the way, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but uh, many of the people in this, in this passage that uh, were vocal about the Lord Jesus Christ and were critical of Him uh, were, were led to believe that by the religious leaders of the day. It wasn't something that they saw. Anyone that stood and saw the Lord Jesus Christ and heard His words Uh, I don't think would come to that conclusion uh, without there being some help or some leadership from people of influence over them. And isn't it amazing how often in the day that you and I live that people are anti-God, they're anti-Bible, they're anti-Christianity, not because they've experienced it and said, I don't think there's anything to it, but because of what they've been told by other people that have influence over them. We find that happening over and over and over in the world that we live in today. And if there is ever a day for Christians to stand up and say, this is the truth, we believe it, we've experienced it, we know that this is true. Um, I like what the songwriter wrote uh, years ago. You ask me how I know He lives? He lives within my heart. And Christians are the ones that are the greatest testimony of what God has done in the hearts of men and to a lost and a dying world. We're one of the great testimonies of that. And um, I, uh, I think one of the great... Uh, I, I was listening to a fellow, and I, I am—I I, I know what he was trying to do. He was trying to get a, a rise out of folks. But he said, he said, the King James Bible is the second best version of Scripture that's out there. And boy, I, my, my ire got up. And he said, the greatest version is the King James Version of the Bible being lived out in your life. He said, because that's the one most people see. And I, I don't know that I agree with him on the version of Scripture, because we're fallible. But he did make a point. And the point was this, that we need to make sure that our testimony and our obedience to this Bible is seen by a lost and a dying world. Because it is vitally important that they see this. Many of them will never pick up a King James Bible and read it. But they'll see someone who does claim to read it, and someone who does claim to obey it, and they're going to look at our life. And it's going to make a difference in whether they believe it or not. And uh, so very, very important... Uh, that uh, this lesson that is being taught here, uh, that here these folks are uh, hating the Lord Jesus Christ, they're, uh, they're beginning to, to rise up against Him, and it's all because they have been influenced by uh, the religious leaders of the day who had rejected uh, Christ. And I, I would say this, I'm not so sure that they rejected Christ because they did not see Him as the Christ. I'll tell you my personal thought on it, and this is a personal thought. I think they rejected him because they realized that if he was who he said he was, that they would no longer have the influence and the power over the nation that they had. Power corrupts an awful lot of things. And uh, we need to learn that we need to follow the Bible regardless of what men say. Regardless of what influence or what power or what... um, uh, encouragement they give to us, enticements, whatever pressure they put upon us. and by the way, I, I think we would all be in agreement of this. This world is putting an awful lot of pressure on Christians today uh, by saying that we are the ones that are deviant. we're the ones that are evil. we're the ones that are wrong by holding to the things of the Bible. Can I tell you this we need to be steadfast regardless of what the men say, we need to be steadfast to the scriptures. And uh, here's a group of people that are following after the religious leadership of the day, and they begin to react negatively towards the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, from that time on, from chapter 12 on, you find he begins to spend more and more time with his disciples, getting things prepared uh, for his death, and later his uh, ascension back to heaven, and the fact that he was not always going to be with them. Uh, Then in chapter 16 through chapter 20, uh, we find that there is... uh, some teaching on the importance of accepting the Lord Jesus Christ as the Messiah that Matthew gives, and uh, he teaches this very strongly, and uh, in this portion, uh, he talks about not only the uh, the urgency, uh, the importance of uh, believing in the Lord Jesus Christ for who he said he was, but also Uh, the things that were going to come about by way of judgment for those who rejected him, both with the immediate uh, group of people uh, that were there and still alive at that day, uh, the fact that there was coming judgment for their rejection, but also in that same section of Scripture in Matthew, uh, in that chapter 16 through the end of chapter 20, uh, he begins to deal with even the second coming in this time when, uh, at the end of time, there's going to be a great judgment of the world and those that reject Him. And so Matthew brings this about very clearly, the importance of accepting Christ for who He said He was, to put their faith and their trust in Him, and uh, to believe Him for who He said He was. And then the next division is uh, uh, the rejection of Christ, uh, the the judgment that's going to come in chapter 20 through chapter 27. Uh, that deals with uh, the upcoming overthrow of Jerusalem itself in in uh, 70 AD and then as well as his return of the Lord and judge of all the earth. the last section of the Bible uh, of the book of Matthew is uh, chapter twenty eight and this is proof of Christ being who he said he was and Matthew's done a great job up to this point uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to indicate that Christ fulfilled all of the prophecies of the Old Testament or Uh, He gave many of them, at least, that he fulfilled uh, with the understanding that he met all of them. And uh, he had given miracles uh, and showed miracles that he has authority and dominion over not only the earth, but even uh, the things in the spiritual realm, and uh, that he has all authority in all of these areas. But the greatest proof that Matthew gives is in chapter 28, where we have indicated the risen Christ, the empty tomb, the appearance... Uh, to many of those that followed him after his resurrection. And uh, the, he brings this about in chapter 28 uh, and says, look, if there's no other proof that can that can sway you, here's the, the last thing I can give you on it. And that is, Jesus Christ didn't just die, but he rose from the dead. The tomb is empty. And uh, he, if you worry about the fact that that was faked, uh, he appeared to many people. There are many, many eyewitnesses that Matthew talks about uh, that saw the Lord Jesus Christ in His resurrected form. And uh, then he deals with the fact at the end of chapter 28 that Jesus was the acceptable sacrifice uh, that was acceptable to God and met the righteous and the just demand that sin caused uh, us to have. And so the Lord Jesus Christ, I, I understand what we say when we say you need to accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, and I understand what we're meaning by that. Uh, the, the opposite of that would be to reject it, and of course we don't want, want to see that. But the truth is, when it came to the acceptance of the Lord Jesus Christ's sacrifice, uh, that was for God the Father. He was the one that had to either accept or reject that sacrifice as payment for our sin. Uh, and he's the only one who could do that. In fact, uh, you look back to the illustration of Cain and Abel and how God accepted one of their sacrifices, but He rejected the other one. And so Christ, as proof of who He was, uh, had to meet every aspect, or He could not have been, the acceptable sacrifice for man's sin. And He was, according to Matthew chapter 28. And so we find that as the last section of the book. Uh, the book was written by Matthew. There's very little discussion about that. Hard, uh, there's, uh, In fact, there, as far as I know, there's no... Uh, dispute over the fact that Matthew is the one who wrote this. I don't believe that he wrote it. It doesn't seem to be that he wrote it while these events were going on, but probably sometime later uh, he wrote this. I do think that it was certainly uh, before 70 A.D. Uh, because uh, the indication of the fall and, and the judgment that was going to come to those Jews there that had rejected the Lord Jesus Christ had not yet happened, and that uh, the immediate judgment that he spoke of happened in 70 A.D. uh, when Jerusalem was overthrown. And um, so uh, uh, Christ, uh, 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 Matthew probably wrote this, our best uh, estimate is he wrote this sometime between 58 and 68 A.D. uh, But sometime after uh, the Lord Jesus Christ had ascended back to heaven uh, and uh, he had written it uh, of ways after that. There are several verses of Scripture that Would lend itself to that idea. Uh, There were several phrases that were used in chapter 27 and verse number 8 that says, unto this day and until this day, meaning these things had happened and they are still in existence until this day. And this is some of the reasons why we believe a period of time had passed. The Christ of Matthew. uh, Matthew presents Christ as the Messiah, King of Israel. Uh, Some of these references in Matthew are chapter 1 and verse number 23, uh, chapter 2 and verse number 2, chapter 3 and verse 17, chapter 4 verses 15 to 17. I know I'm giving you a lot of references here, and I'll have them in the notes available to you. Chapter 21, verse 5, chapter 22, verse 44, chapter 27, verse 11. And those are not all of them. There are many other passages in Matthew where Christ is presented as the Messiah, the King of Israel. The phrase, the kingdom of heaven, is used 32 times in the book of Matthew, and it is found nowhere else in the New Testament. Uh, very interesting that, again, dealing with the kingship of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he deals with the phrase, the kingdom of heaven. Uh, Matthew also uses more Old Testament quotes than any other gospel to show that Jesus fulfilled uh, the prophecies of the Messiah uh, over 130 different times. We mentioned that. And the phrase, that it was spoken through the prophet, uh, uh, that what uh, that what was spoken, through the prophet might be fulfilled. That exact phrase appears nine different times and not ever in any of the other Gospels. Only in the book of Matthew is that phrase found. That what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. And uh, he uses that again uh, to show the fulfillment of the Lord Jesus Christ. He refers to Christ as the Son of Man. He refers to Him as the servant of the Lord. He refers to Him as the Son of David nine different times. um, And as the Son of Abraham... And, of course, uh, he's referred to as the Christ and the King of, uh, the, king of the Jews. Uh, the keys to Matthew, the theme is that it, Christ is the King of the Jews. The key verses are chapter 16, uh, verse 16. Let's turn over there and look at this for a moment. Matthew chapter 16 and verse number 16. And we'll read verse 16 and 17. And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And by the way, uh, we find here that uh, not only does Peter make the claim that he is the Christ, the Son of God, but the Lord Jesus Christ uh, reinforces that by what he says. He doesn't deny it. And he said, in fact, Simon bar he says, Blessed art thou, uh, blessed art thou for this, uh, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And so very key, again, the main thrust of the book of Matthew is to show that Christ is the King of the Jews. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He is the Anointed One. Uh, all right, and then this, the other key verse that is found is chapter 28, and this is one that we all are very familiar with. chapter 28, and we'll begin in verse 18, "...then Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen." And so these are the two key passages or key verses that are found in the book. And uh, we already mentioned that the key chapter, kind of the, the turning point, the, the hinge point, if you will, for the book of Matthew would be Matthew chapter number 12. And again, this is the place where the Pharisees, um, as self-imposed, I guess, representatives of the nation of Israel at this point, leaders of the nation of Israel, reject uh, Christ as the Messiah and say uh, that His power has not come from God, but has come from Satan. And uh, Matthew's a tremendous book. If you ever, uh, if you ever meet uh, a Jewish person who uh, does not believe that Christ is the Messiah, probably one of the best books you can use to help them understand this would be the book of Matthew. There's just so much in it that is written from a Jewish perspective to the Jewish people about the fact that Christ is the Messiah. He is the one that was promised. And if you ever come across that, that uh, opportunity to sit and talk and, and go through Scripture and you have one that is willing to listen to you with a Jewish person, uh, probably one of your best sources in Scripture to go to would be the book of Matthew. Um, tremendous book. Uh, written that, uh, for a specific purpose and really kind of a, a strong emphasis to the Jews, uh, although you and I can benefit so much from it as well. All right, let's go ahead and stand. We'll be dismissed in prayer, and then we'll have our uh, next service here in just a little bit. Father, we're thankful for Your Word. We pray that You'll bless it and use it, or may we learn from it. And as we understand a little bit about the setting and and a little bit about these books and uh, the time periods that they were written in and uh, some of the structure of them and how they uh, relate and how they uh, have been so perfectly directed by You, to meet needs and to fulfill.